podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, we solicited for questions early uh, before the recording of the show, a couple hours, thinking that surely we would have a stockpile of fun, insightful, uh, you know, analytics questions, reporting questions, insider stuff, all the things that we purport to be on this program. And everyone is just mad. They just <laughs> want an explanation as to why their team is not good. Um, and so that I guess team, it's going to be one of those team, weeks. That team is probably a mid-major <laughs> based yeah. on a, you know, this is our audience right here. So here's what we're going to do. This is podcast name Play Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That's a robot, Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system over at the old football outsiders at the old college football study hall, the snbnations.com. My name's Stephen Godfrey. I, I do stuff. Um, we've got a lot of angst, so we're going to separate our angst into buckets. Oh, okay. It's one of those modern corporate... Uh, speak items now where they say let's put things in buckets okay either that or that's not in his silo that's another one i hear a lot. oh i love silos i use silos oh, a lot. awful 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 bill we're gonna do lsu we're gonna do tennessee because we kind of have to at this point i mean it's <laughs> ridiculous um and we're going to touch on probably the schools that you would expect papn to touch on mm-hmm. um our colleague richard johnson had a um a vetted list of potential candidates at UTEP. Um, so, you know, wheelhouse. <sighs> Let's just start. I, you know, I, I really am kind of bummed out by our listeners because this is just a, a lot of angst. It's not a positive <laughs> feeling, um, but that's fine. That's fine. We'll, uh, we'll start making people it's feel mid-octo- better. It's officially, we're approaching, I guess it's, I can't say it's mid-October. It's the 4th of October, but this is the mid-October feeling when everybody, all that optimism of about six weeks ago for about half of college football has dissipated dramatically. Uh, I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's um, let's do this. Let's just go into the week schedule and we'll bridge out as we go. Okay. You feel good about that? Sure. Except Tennessee's on a bye, aren't they? <laughs> All right, let's start there. You want to start there? Let's sure, start there. let's start there. I have been suckered by Jason Kirk, our college football editor, whether he wants to admit it or not, into doing the Charlie Strong watch for Butch Jones. <laughs> uh, every week when I jump into Slack on the weekends, I was like, hey, is there anything you want me to grab? And he goes, anything going on at Tennessee? In a very ominous sort of way. Um yeah, there's a lot going on in Tennessee. Um, this idea that Tennessee was going to fire Butch Jones last weekend is false. Um, yeah. And that's not me. Uh, that, that's me with the reporter hat on. Actually, I have a Sweaty Braves hat on. I just came from the gym. Yeah. But um, the Sweaty Braves hat says that, that Butch Jones was not going to get fired. Um, John Curry, the new athletic director, came over from Kansas State. Uh, not really moving a lot uh, or in, in a noticeable way in terms of Butch's stock at Tennessee. So everything you're hearing is in a, in a very, very loud echo chamber. It's loud normally. Um, I was having a discussion with someone at the University of Tennessee about this this week. When you have problems at the University of Florida, University of Texas, University of Southern California, you um, are able to mitigate some of that, absorb some of that into the environment. So you have like pro sports teams, you have a large diverse population that is interested in other things at some point. Um, other sports, right? You know, as bad as an Ohio State basketball season might be, there's also an Ohio State football season around the bend to sort of absorb that. 
you don't have that at Tennessee. What you have is you have college football and only college football. It's not a strong area for preps in terms of high school football. It's it, Really, it's this and the legacy of Pat Summon and women's basketball, and that's it in the entire area, in that part of Appalachian, East Tennessee. Um, you don't have a major market outside of Knoxville. You have a lot of satellite markets, and they don't have pro sports teams. Um, it's really like that until you get to Nashville or Atlanta, thereabouts. Um, I'm not saying that to denigrate the state of Tennessee. I live here. But the problem is this. This is all anyone's talking about. <laughs> this is just not stopping. And the difference between this and Texas is, like, if you live in Austin, you live in there's, Austin. there's cool stuff to do to let make you less mad about the horns. Um, <laughs> there is not as much cool stuff. Um uh, in in Knoxville, God bless Knoxville. I love Knoxville, but um, it's it's bad. Um, it is closed ranks time around the building. It is uh, hunker down. Um, if people are trying to speculate as to whether or not Butch Jones will be there at the end of the season, the only reason I'm saying no right now is because we are coming off of the heels of a total and complete blowout from the University of Georgia, um, who Bill uh, declared on. Sunday on the recap show that we can faithfully say now Georgia is good and Auburn is good. We know these things, right? They're, these are things we can accept and understand. <laughs> um, hey, uh, you still shouldn't lose like that at home, no. right? You shouldn't be that outmatched in year five. Yes, you've had a full recruiting cycle. Now, granted, you've had a full recruiting cycle to recover from probably one of the most underheralded bad bad situations that someone has stepped into in a premier power five job. Um, also you have what, um, our recruiting friend, Bud Elliott always talks about, which is that Tennessee is not the Tennessee. It thinks Tennessee should be. This is a, this is a program that's different than when it was in its heyday in 1998. And then in, you know, Peyton before that. So numerically you posted, uh, the recap, the box score, I think after we recorded our show on Sunday, yeah. um, and it was blood red. <laughs> Is there anything to look forward to as a Tennessee fan? Because I will say this, Bill, if you're telling me that it, they project to be four and eight, I think he's gone. Four, uh, yeah, I mean, well, uh, yeah, four and eight's not likely. Uh, let's see. Right now, from a numbers perspective, uh, the most likely scenario is either six and six or seven and five. Cool. Uh, and it would it's be, actually the worst case scenario. I was about to say it would be very, very Butch Jones to fall all the way to seven and five, which before Butch Jones was the best thing they'd done in a decade. Uh-huh. Um, to fall to seven and five <clears throat> and uh, be able to defend his record uh, after they got d- destroyed by Georgia, probably got destroyed by Alabama, definitely got destroyed by Alabama. Uh, and let's see, seven and five would then also mean probably a loss to like at Kentucky or LSU yeah. at home or Vanderbilt at home. Uh, look at me skipping right over at Missouri. That's how that's, <laughs> that, that, statistically that is basically a toss up game, but I'm going to skip that one for now. But, but yeah, you're basically that that's not terrible for Tennessee at this point. You are what you've been the last 10 years and this is what Tennessee has been the last 10 years. So it is, it is still a tricky situation. I personally, if I'm the athletic director right now, um, I, you know, first of all, there's no point in firing somebody on October 4th. So the fact that he hasn't done so doesn't really mean anything. It wouldn't help anything. He can, as I always say, you can get your list together without firing the guy. Um, this isn't like recruiting where once they've signed, you know, if they've signed a letter yeah. of intent, you, you know, or whatever. Good athletic, good athletic director always has a list. Right. And so Greg, I'm sure Byrne, Greg Byrne at the university of Alabama <laughs> has a list right now. I'm not kidding. 
It, I've well, talked yeah, to Greg Byrne multiple it, times. He has a list of football coaches that he could hire at at the end of this season if he had to. Right. All good ADs have a list. And by the way, you brought up Alabama. This was one of the most interesting points I thought. It was in Slack, uh, in our Slack conversation. It was in tw- on Twitter a little bit, too. Um, I, I mean, this is a side note, but it, it's funny to me to step back and realize that a lot of fans of a certain age, uh, you know, Bud always talks about how, you know, recruits of a certain age don't remember Miami being amazing, you know, things like that. Um fans of a certain age don't remember Alabama being a disorganized mess. Like that's, you know, the way Saban has, has got everybody to circle the wagons, uh, the way he has his success and his personality have, you know, closed all leaks and uh, brought everybody in line. That is not an Alabama thing. That's a Saban thing before Alabama was uh, before Alabama hired Saban. They lost Gene Stallings. They hired Mike DeBose, who at the time was uh, Alabama's defensive line coach. Uh, not even like a, a roundly successful offensive or defensive coordinator. He was their D line coach because I think, if I remember right, they were they were dealing with uh, sanctions or impending sanctions at that they time. They were. They had multiple. They had rolling investigations right. from the NCAA. Uh, like an Ohio State did for a while there, like USC did. Uh, they were dealing with a lot of issues in that regard. Uh, and so the, all the best thing they could do is hire Mike DeBose. And after four years of DeBose, he had one good year. He, uh, he went four and seven, seven and five, ten and three, and three and eight. Um, after DeBose, they hired Mike Price. Uh, Roll Tide. And, why, and I guess I should actually explain that joke. I'm not just saying Roll Tide. Um, Mike Price was never coached a game. Uh, had taken Washington State to the Rose Bowl, which was probably, I think, a bigger deal back then than it would be today. Actually, hold on a second. One second. I screwed that up. Um, I went out of order. They first hired Dennis Francione, head coach of Texas of uh, Texas Christian University. I uh, thought there was a reason you were doing that, but okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Dennis Francione, by the way, the only person in the Bryant Museum who is not acknowledged um, well, aside from Mike Price, probably. Uh, but they, they acknowledge Mike DeBose. They have pictures of Mike DeBose. They have pictures of Mike Shula, who eventually... I mean, he won, yeah, but DeBose won football games. Although, I guess Fran did, too. Uh, they, but Fran left after two years for to Texas go where? A&M. To go where? To Texas A&M. So, again, not everybody knows what you do. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about you, the listener. Yeah. There are people here right now who are experiencing this for the first time. <laughs> so, Alabama had a coach leave them to go to not Texas A&M, brand new stadium, uh, you know, uh, richer than four foot up a bull's ass. Like, I'm talking about, I think oil was down at this point. This is Texas A&M, Big 12, like 90s Texas A&M. They, the four from, years I, before Francione had gotten there, they'd won eight, seven, eight, and six games in the Big 12, not in the SEC West. So, that they happened. Mike Price. Then they go and they hire a guy who won a Rose Bowl at Washington State, which, as I said earlier, I think is a bigger deal then than it is now because of the cash infusion into the Pac-12 has created a little bit more parity. All right. Um, he gets caught. Where, Bill? Uh, I'm pulling up the official details here to make sure I get them right. Uh, Mike got caught in a shake joint, a strip club, a gentleman's facility. um, What was it called? Yelling Roll Tide in his Alabama athletic gear. Yep. In one of my favorite cities in the entire world, Pensacola, Florida. Um, This did not... um, 
this did not sit with uh, a, a booster core at the time that was severely divided. And by the way, I don't know how we got this far in Alabama, but I'm fine. I'll live here. What you need to know is this. And what, if you don't know anything about Alabama before 2007, that's fine. Everybody's young once. Alabama, to this day, to this day, sits on a fault line of money and power and, and boosterdom that is more volatile than the San Andreas or that other thing I read about in the New Yorker that's going to one day like swallow Portland and Seattle. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, oh, man, I get chills just thinking about that anyway. The, the boosterdom of Alabama, I think, will forever be the most insane – and when I when I'm talking about insane, I want I want you to understand. I'm not talking about fans that are going to like throw beer on you in a stadium. I'm talking about people who have five million dollars in the bank and will throw beer on you at a stadium. This is the this is the craziness goes to the very top. It always has. There were fissures inside of the booster core for years. This bleeds into Mike Shula. We're kind of jumping out of order here. This is a this is a problem that really surfaces post Stallings, and it's when here's another thing that's going to blow your mind. The SEC modernizes and goes to divisions, right? And at the same time, the television contracts change, and schools try and modernize with it. And Alabama doesn't really do a good job of this. They've got the NCAA up their butt. They've got uh, conflicting ideals because, again, it's it's not unique to Tuscaloosa that if you are a successful program for a very long time, you don't feel the need to change for change's sake. Even when change is coming on the horizon, you have to adjust accordingly. So they didn't really modernize, I think, in the way that they thought about things. They didn't really modernize in the way that they hired people. It was all within their little, you know, Alabama spectrum. This creates a, just an incestuous, nasty civil war of a thing. And it ultimately ends with Mike Shula. Bill, explain Mike Shula. <laughs> well, he is the son of Don Shula, and he is—he uh, was a quarterback. What were the? When was he a quarterback? Was he a quarterback on a bear or was it after bear? Uh, he was after bear. Think, let's see. He's yeah. He was he was drafted. Wood Stallings, wasn't it? Yeah, he was drafted uh, in the '87 draft. So basically, he showed up right after bear. And within 15 years, 16 years, he was uh, Alabama's head coach. He was he was Miami Dolphins quarterback coach last. Um, he was a pro assistant. He was who they could find in May, uh, in May of 2003, when they were looking for a head coach uh, in a very very awkward situation. Uh, the boosters were offended by Mike Price, pushed Mike Price out. And by the way, I could never, I couldn't dig up the name of the club. Uh, so uh, first person on Twitter who digs up yeah. the name of the club gets a free voucher when we start selling PAP and underwear. Uh, if you saw that joke on Twitter yesterday, it says assy on the back. It's great. Did I say anything about a joke? Did I say that was a joke? Sorry. Uh, the best, the, you know, the best ideas maybe sound like jokes to the, uh, the unprepared ear, I guess. But regardless, the, those boosters decide and the athletic directors decides that the best plan of action is to hire Mike Shula. He goes four and nine, goes six and six. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. Then he goes ten and two in in Yeah, 05. that was the year they beat Texas, Texas Tech, Tech in the in the Cotton Bowl. Bowl. I don't know why I remember that? Uh, and then the next year he goes six and six, and he's done. So really, those ten years were not unlike the ten years that Tennessee had dealt with before uh, before they brought Butch Jones to town. So why are we talking about Alabama in the context of Tennessee? Do we think they're equal programs? I'm not saying that. Not do we cool. think that they? Well, do we? I mean, yes and no. No, I mean, Alabama's been more historically successful, obviously. Yeah. And, and and that was the case even before 10 years ago when they hired Saban. Yes, but they have more money. Right. They they run their money better. 
They sit in a much more fertile recruiting area. Right. I would, I would, if I'm a college football coach, I would much, much rather be in Tuscaloosa than Knoxville for the geography of the talent. But. So it's not the same. Right. But it's similar. It's similar. And it is living proof that a, you, anybody can be, fall into a big heaving mess like what Tennessee's been in since they, uh, I don't want to say they compl- it was completely misguided to fire Fulmer. I get why they fired Fulmer that, you know, they, he, no, wasn't, he, he wasn't, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm down with firing Fulmer. Um, but, maybe just every decision that you make after that was the wrong one. Right. And it was still, you know, he'd still, uh, he was a year removed from making the sec title game and, and doing well in the sec title game that year. Um, so I, there's a very good case to not fire Fulmer. There's a very good case to not freak out every single time. A really good proven coach has a bad year, uh, and maybe circle around, as I was saying last week with Bielema, and maybe circle around and actually try to figure out how to help him instead of pushing him out for Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and, and you could also uh, argue that the, the Kiffin abandoning Tennessee is one of the worst decisions in modern college football history because it throws Kiffin into a spiral. It throws Tennessee into a spiral. Yeah. Now, at the time, it's it's going to make sense every time when you put that, when you just lay out the situation on the table because he's going to go to USC. But right. it didn't work out for anybody. <laughs> it, it, it created problems for everyone. Um, now, is Butch Jones, was Butch Jones a bad hire? I'm still saying no, no, um, because I judge hires not on wins and losses in in these situations. Well, no, if you judge it by wins and losses, it was a good hire. They hadn't won nine games yeah. since 2007, and they did it twice. So t- um, technically speaking, it was a good Butch, hire in that regard. Butch is a good hire on paper. Butch is still doing a good job on paper. When you get to football games, I after I really do think there, this is a watershed moment for Tennessee, and that we've been able to, and I have tried to be a voice of reason and say they're recruiting extremely well better than Tennessee probably should be recruiting they're doing it you know they're doing everything right in getting talent into Knoxville they are working on mending a bunch of things that no one ever talks about that inside the program and outside the program because Dooley was one of the worst hires in modern college football history at a power five premier program however the man has never done himself a favor ever on the field. Butch Jones has never done himself a favor on the field. Right. I if, mean, it's, if it's losing that crap Florida game to um, to Muschamp, the one I think that was in Knoxville, if it's blowing the lead against Oklahoma at home in Knoxville, if it's the Hail Mary against Florida this year, if it's – I mean, this, these are just off the top of my – if it's losing to Vanderbilt at all last year, which is, you just you cannot do, um, and on and on and on and on and on. He has been in the situation to earn himself equity so many times on the field and failed. Right. That's um, you know that's what I've always. That, that's the gist of this whole thing. Right. They've they've gone nine and four two straight years heading into this year. Technically, they still could this year. They lose to Alabama, just, but they they right. win the games they're favored in. They're probably still nine and four. But but it's just the, it's just the games he's losing, and right. it's just the games that he's winning don't build equity. In the in the, Kentucky. Right. Even when Kentucky is good, means nothing here. I've lived here for eleven years, and no one. I'm three hours from Lexington, and I'm three hours, two and a half hours from Knoxville, and most of their graduates move here. And when they when they interact with each other, it's the weirdest symbiotic relationship I've ever seen. They should hate each other, but they don't because the focus is on two different sports. So if you if you sweep Tennessee in basketball, you're supposed to, and if you beat Kentucky by twenty eight, you're supposed to. That's just how it's going to be. So when Butch, when Butch hangs his hat on these wins, it's just, it's not working, man. Right. The two things that Butch does wrong, 
Uh, number one, he clams up uh, in in game situations, and and, he, and really, I don't, I can't even say for sure that he still does it, but he do, did it so severely in early 2015 when they had high expectations and a very very good football team, and they quickly built a, a lead on an Oklahoma team that would end up going to the playoff, and then they basically packed it in with 40 minutes left uh, and stopped trying to do a single thing offensively, uh, and eventually lost in overtime. Two weeks later, the way they blew the the Florida game uh, in a, many of the same ways, they were aggressive all game and then with the game on the line they got conservative and they got beat uh to lose those games to then lose to arkansas in a similar way to lose to alabama when they had a chance to to win everything back and they were leading alabama in tuscaloosa in the fourth quarter but couldn't stop uh what derrick henry i guess um to lose those games the way they did you know four extreme what if games in a year when they went nine and four and killed a bunch of pretty decent teams uh, to lose those games the way they did and to have that what if on the table and then to come out the next year and lose three in a row, lose to a, a decent but not great A&M team, lose to a decent but not great South Carolina team and get whooped by Alabama in between. Oh, um, the A&M game in College Station. And then to lose that Vanderbilt. Like basically the, the eight games they lost were – five times more memorable than any of their wins. And so, yeah, you don't necessarily get the same level of credit for that, but then the Ooh, other, that's the point. Yeah. You and then the it. other part is that the losses, you remember the losses. And, and I'm not talking about as a Tennessee fan. I mean, just us, yeah. we were, we think of, you close your eyes and think of Tennessee in a big game. It's always a loss. And then when he defends himself, yeah, he defends things that fans don't care about. And he says things like champions of life. Um, well, and he also pulled out fake news yeah. and, and here's the other thing. He lectures the media. That's always a very good approach. I haven't said this, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to touch on it really briefly. I went and spent some time with Butch this summer, and I was going to do a thing that didn't happen. And I'm not going to say anything else about it. But I spent some time with Butch, one-on-one, and I've, I've been in the back of those press conferences over the years since he got to Knoxville. I, I think I've done probably one Tennessee home game a year. Since he got there. And also, I spent about a half a day with him and his staff at Cincinnati before the Keg and Nails game. It was, I don't know what year that was. Charlie Strong was Louisville's coach. So it was a long time ago. Um, Butch is not a bad human being. Butch is not a dumb human being. Butch is not the sort of confused, red-faced just thing that walks the sidelines. He's not. He's actually a really sharp guy. He just fails to translate that in a public forum. And I know individuals like this. Most of them are academics or most of them are just sort of very, he reminds me of almost like an engineer sometimes. <laughs> um, Butch's dad was a cop. My dad was a police officer. My grandfather's police officer. I have like four or five total in my entire family. I think that he reminds me of a cop sometimes, like a very frustrated mid-level police officer in that he is, he can't win for trying when he tries to justify himself publicly in any way, shape, or form. My thing on Champions for Life is this. I know it's hokey, but I go to these... Bill, you do too now. Like You go to these campuses, and you, you walk down these hallways, and, and let me tell you all something. When you get to go to these football offices... This kind of crap is on the walls everywhere you go. Yeah. Everywhere you go. It just depends on what kind of flavor ideology you have. Are you a bow guy? Are you a woody guy? Like, I guarantee you, like, I know Harbaugh says the team, the team, the team. Well, guess what? When you go to Eugene, Oregon, it says the team, the team, the team, because Willie Taggart comes off that tree. And then if you go somewhere else, it's going to be the, the same stuff that, I mean, the Jimbo Fisher slash um, Saban slash like even the guys who have worked for Mark Stoops, Neil Brown talked about this to me. Like 
they all kind of share the same verbiage. And that, that extends all the way into guys like, I'm trying to think, Jeff Collins at Temple mentioned something that Major Applewhite at Houston had mentioned to me, and then I checked, and it was also something, I'm trying to remember how far flung this got. It was someone on the West Coast. The point is this, it's all about the same. Champions for Life sounds hokey. Other people have said Champions for Life. I just think sometimes it's like Butch doesn't know how it's going to hit publicly. No, I mean like, that's I yeah. That every single been... every single coach you ever talk to will say that they're really excited. They they love coaching because they like you know sculpting young men. They like you know being leaders and and teaching and you know playing a part in these kids' lives and all that. And and I mean I assume they mean it or most of them mean it anyway. But he's he has a skill for saying things just slightly different in a way that makes you go what? Um, yeah, and for the, the trash can and the trash can at the beginning yeah. of the year. Uh, I mean, my thing is this: like the trash cans, hokey. It's no hokier than the uh, the Legion of Doom Road Warrior shoulder pads that, that Georgia has. It's no hokier than the Miami chain. Turnover, the turnover chain. It's no hokier than um, speaking of Temple. They have a whiteboard on oh, the sideline right, right. from their practice <laughs> from their from their facility that they towed out on the sideline. And if you if you register a turnover, then you get to go over there and sign your name and they'd like have the camera on it. I saw it the other night against, it was the only points they scored against USF. Um, This is, that's, I'm, I'm down with Hokie, man. Give me trash cans with logos. This is why we like this sport. Butch just, man, Butch just takes it on the chin every time somebody does like, I just don't think you get made fun of for that kind of crap at other places. And for whatever reason, it's so easy to do it to Butch. I'm not defending him, but I'm also uh, confused by it. And if, I mean, we always say, you know, winning solves everything. Well, if you beat Alabama in 2015, you probably get away with like eight more things than he. If you have one more win against. So here's my here's my thought on that. If you have one one more win against Florida and if you beat Alabama once, none of this is happening. (laughs) Oh, by the way, we should state because I guarantee you there's at least one Tennessee fan screaming at us right now. One Tennessee game you do remember they won was the Hail Mary last year. Yeah, and even that one, you can't say it was, it was a bold strategy that did it. Everybody throws a Hail Mary. It just worked, and they had just given up a long touchdown pass right before that. They had hey, blown it, and then they won it anyway. Go Google this. I think SB Nation hit it on, in a blog post. People were getting their hair cut like Butch after that game. That was last oh, year, see, dude. Oh, man, I blocked that out. I don't remember that at all. There were kids. I didn't see this on the local news. I saw this on a, na- on a national level. Maybe it was on game day. After they beat Georgia, I can't remember what their record was. Four and one, maybe five, five. I don't know. It was good. Um, yeah. I, I was at LSU that week. I remember that. They, the fans were like, "This is our guy. We're it. We're here, man." <laughs> um, I think this is the last thing I'll touch on. Uh, one, I, I just tell you as a reporter, I don't think he's going to get fired in season unless they just unless just they crater. You know, and I don't care what Alabama does to him. Alabama has reset the bar for that, so don't throw that out. Um, I, I mean, I just I really don't see a situation unless there's like physical violence on the sideline or something like that. You know, impropriety or something where he gets fired in season. Right. So take that for what it's worth. I don't think John Curry wants to make a change this year. I think he wants to get there. And uh, and I wrote this. I've written this twice. I think. He wants to understand the lay of the land in terms of what people want and what the expectation levels are. But also, he I think he just wants time to evaluate Butch from the perspective of being his boss for a full year. You know, looking at the entire cycle of the program. the fact, And, and they know what the personnel is. They know it's not great. 
but they know that they're they're trying to create some consistency. The dude's just had a lot of bad breaks. But I'll say this. Tennessee fans are kind of smart in that they if you have a beer with them about it takes like a beer and a half for them to break down and say we're not supposed to be Alabama right now. We're not supposed to be comparing ourselves to Nick Saban, which is better than some schools fans. <laughs> Looking at you Athens. Um well, hey, but they're 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 trying pretty they're doing a pretty good job of of it at the What moment. pissed them off so bad? was actually it was Hugh Freeze for a long time because they looked at what they thought to be a similar situation in what Houston Nutt had left and what Derek Dooley had left. And they see Hugh Freeze and they see a success that's much more pronounced earlier on. Now, flash forward 2017, (laughs) um, whether you believe Ole Miss was a victim of the NCAA or they were just really dumb and sloppy at cheating, probably a little, I would say more column A than column, or more column B than column A, definitely. Um, that didn't last. Now, now they're looking at, oh, God, Kirby got it going in a year. <laughs> Why can't we be Kirby? And my short answer to that, we'll move on, is you didn't, like, Kirby didn't get what y'all got. Kirby got a pretty good program that just needed a couple little fixes, you know? Kirby got also, what Derek Lane Dooley Kiffin is a, got. Kirby got what Lane Kiffin got. In and Derek Dooley is a freaking wide receivers coach for the Cowboys and will never coach again in college football. The guy that Georgia kicked out has undefeated Miami right now. Has <laughs> Miami undefeated right now? Okay. All right. We got to get to the schedule. That was a lot of Tennessee. I know. And actually, uh, UTEP is also on by, so we need to touch on UTEP very quickly before we jump in. So we're gonna UTEP, we're gonna check um, the schedule at like fifty five minutes into the podcast. But here we go. Oh man, we're really gonna have to go. Uh, UTEP uh, did not fire their coach. I've been saying that just uh, like kind of a. I guess kind of just to be a dick, but um, UTEP did not fire their coach. Uh, Sean Kugler resigned. Um, I don't know what the, the, the uh, you know, I'm not going to give you the details, like, because I don't really have it specifically what was going on, what was going on there. It's just a really, 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 really hard job. Yeah, It's a job that no one's ever figured out. And it's a job that um, I don't know. I don't know what the, the blueprint is moving forward. We could probably spend an entire PAPN on oh, this. Oh, trust me. Um, I thought about it. Like, because this is a great case study for what Bill and I love the most, which is you have to be contrarian now. Yeah. Right? Nothing else you've done works. By the way, they brought in Mike Price, um, the same (laughs) strip club gentleman that we talked about earlier, (laughs) as the interim head coach. Uh, But now you have to look at this situation and think, okay, this is the one Texas job that nobody wants. Right. Because it's Bailey, Texas. Yeah. People would, like, if you if you lined up Rice, who I think is probably going to part ways with David Bailiff this year, and UTEP, people would take Rice every single time. You can go out and market Houston. You can go out and market the degree. You can go out and market um, any number of things, just quality of life. I mean, you can go out and market the fact that they are playing games that are just closer to home for most of these guys. El Paso is really the middle of nowhere. It's just barely in Texas. So... <laughs> Um, that's a huge problem. People, I think the, the perception is different. And now to see, now for UTEP to see programs like UTSA lapping them, it's uh, it's got to be hard. So Richard, uh, so Richard Johnson over at um, our website smbnations.com, he ran a thing. I think it was Monday, and I'm just going to run these real fast. And I'll mention there are a couple names that he got that I had heard as well. Um, so these are potential replacement candidates. Casey Keeler is the head coach at uh, Sam Houston State. Phil Longo is the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, was the OC last year at Sam Houston State. Graham Harrell, you remember him, Texas Tech quarterback, who's now the OC at North Texas. Um, 
Ty Detmer, you remember him as a BYU quarterback who's now the BYU offensive coordinator, although mm, right there. Uh, you have Texas A&M's Texas A&M Commerce, which is a thing in Division II, head coach named Kobe Carthel, Guy Holiday, the wide receivers coach at Utah, and then another BYU assistant, Ed Lamb. Um, kind of a mash of guys here. None of those instantly say problem solved to me at all. Yeah. But I don't know if there's a name out there that says problem solved. No, there's not going Utah. to be. Um, you know, there are two ways to look at this. And, and I mean, this fits into a lot of the buckets that silos, silos that we uh, talk about a lot when talking about hard jobs. Um, you kind of the two ways you have to go about it is either hire somebody who does something a little different than everybody else and does it really well. Uh, Bob Stoll is probably their most successful hire of all time. Um, and he ended up their athletic director. He went there in 86 and in, in three years, he inherited a one in 10 team and they he went four and eight, seven and four, 10 and three. And then he left for the Missouri job, which was bad for everybody involved. Uh, yep. that was a Giffen move where it got worse for Missouri and got worse for Stoll and got worse for El Paso. Um, but so, and Stoll was an air it out guy. He he was a a, a fun and gun the air raid of his day kind of uh, approach, and uh, it, it was working. And you know he was able to. You know, when you have a system that is a little weird, and you can find the talent that fits it, you don't have to. You then don't have to beat out like Rice for a kid from Houston, for instance. You know you can kind of pick and choose in your recruiting a little bit. You can get away with lesser uh, signees to a certain degree. Um, but so that's that's one way. If you if you think you have that uh, in, in a guy like say the the what was the 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 A and M Commerce guy, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. you know a weird hire like that. Maybe he comes in and hits. Finds lightning in a bottle. The other approach is to basically pull a Boise. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, A, that means rallying the community around the program and trying to get epic support that hasn't previously exist, existed and get those facilities upgraded and win enough to justify it, blah, 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 blah. And the other part of that is recruiting guys you can recruit. Finding what, what can you recruit to UTEP right now? You you know technically you can go in and find spread personnel probably that gets overlooked for some of those other schools that ends up going to Sam Houston State or something. So you could do that. You could figure out a variety of the spread. What Kugler tried to do, I think, uh, uh, that kind of made some sense was like we're going to try to dominate in the trenches. You know we're going to play a physical style that other Texas schools don't play, uh, and and that all made sense. But he just couldn't attract the talent there. So, you know, I just pulled up a quote, by the way, and this is just to kind of summarize the hard job aspect of it. Uh, Gabe Franklin, safeties coach at Boise State. I talked to him when I did my Boise's, Boise Peach piece. He had just come from UTEP. Uh, he worked for Kugler. Uh, his quote was, I asked him what the differences between UTEP and Boise really were. Like, why does Boise a good job and why is UTEP so hard? And he basically said, he paused and he said, El Paso is a great city. I loved it. It's a hidden gem. It's just the stigma. I guess you could say, you know, there's no border here. Obviously, parents are scared. I'm going to send my kid to El Paso for four years. They're probably going to get in trouble. Uh, But in reality, it's similar to this place, Boise, in terms of safety. If you think about it, our country is really smart. We've got the FBI down there. Danger is not even a question. It's just that it's it's just a stigma that people have. And it's hard to recruit kids to come out there. Uh, In terms of environment, it's the same friendly people, same community. It's just that you've got to win and win a lot. Uh, And it's the same thing here. Uh, and, and to, to that point, he also said, you know, if you win four games there or in Boise, stands aren't going to be full anymore. So yeah, the answer is to a win and B win more. Uh, but that's kind of difficult, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to touch on this in the off season. Yeah. 
because this is a great little test tube for BAPN. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how contrarian they're going to go. Yeah, I just hope they are a little. I that's all I really look for in hires like this is is an understanding of the situation. Don't sure would be interesting if they noticed what New Mexico did. Yeah, that'd be fun. Or they just could just, or they could just hire um, Doug Martin from down the road at Las Cruces. He's got that program. He's got that program humming. I mean, not the worst idea. Uh, Bill, we got to get to the schedule because <laughs> we haven't even talked about LSU. My lord, my lord. Uh, Georgia Southern, we can't fit into. I, like, I just seriously, we can't fit it all in. Um, Georgia Southern's playing Arkansas State tonight. But you are probably listening to this after that's happened. I have a piece that you will probably read after that game has happened, and we'll just have to bottle that for another show. Let's start on Thursday. Okay. Louisville at North Carolina, great Thursday game. We were complaining we got a good Thursday game. Let's do Friday real fast as well. Um, by the way, that's an ESPN game. Uh, Friday, Memphis is at UConn on ESPN, and Boise State is at BYU on ESPN. Not the least, entirely bad. The least shiny Boise State-BYU game in quite some time. <sighs> I mean, it's football. It's on. Yeah. Shut up. Um, it's very pretty. Go see Blade, the, the go is see Blade Runner pretty. in the afternoon. That's what I'm going to do, okay? Go see Blade Runner in the afternoon. That's how I'm scheduling Blade Runner. That's how I'm scheduling Thor. That's how I'm scheduling Justice League. Just get it done in the afternoon. Um... Uh, we got, I mean, we got to give some due diligence to North Carolina State. Yeah. It's going to be a good football game. Yeah, very good. Um, also, everyone has stopped talking about the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Thursday night would be a nice place to remind America. <laughs> right, and he would have to do it against what is probably a very good defense, too. So that exactly. uh, doesn't hurt. They are – NC State's a little a little glitchy right now. Um, they're, the, they're aggressive like they were last year. They've still got a good run front, but uh, the big plays they give up are quite big, uh, and Louisville could probably take advantage of that. Uh, but this is basically – the S&P projection for this game is 33-28 Louisville. I guess that sounds about right. This is a game NC State can absolutely win, and if we're talking about Dave Doran's future there, this is a game he probably sh- should think about maybe trying to win. Um, yeah. And, I mean, we've talked about how unfair the situation for NC State is in that division before. But this is a game he probably needs to win. It would be a lovely Kind win. of a career changer if he wins. Right. If it, if that makes way. him 5-1 and one if they beat Louisville and the def- and Bobby Petrino and the defending Heisman Trophy winner. And then they probably beat Pitt next week, although it would be kind of NC state for them to lose that game. But the best-case scenario here is they win these two games. They're 6-1 and one when they go to Notre Dame at the end of the month. Uh, and they're in a very good situation at that point. Uh, even if they lose to Notre Dame, then they go. So they, they return home to host Clemson, and that's a humongous game. So, Bill, I have good news. Yeah. The Saturday morning slot doesn't suck as much. Wow. Okay. I don't believe you. Let's go. Yeah. Well, I, look, I said it didn't suck as much. Oh, okay. I didn't use the word good. Okay. Uh, we're going to go all the way to 2 o'clock here. Eastern Michigan's at Toledo on CBS Sports Network. Jalja is playing at Vanderbilt, a game that I asked you off air. Should I go to that? And you said, maybe, if you like defense. And then I said, nah. Um, Illinois is at Iowa on BTN. Iowa State is at Oklahoma on Fox. Ole Miss is at Auburn uh, on the SEC Network. Penn State is at Northwestern on ABC. Temple is at East Carolina on the U. Texas Tech goes to Kansas at on FS1. Check this. Check out this sleeper matchup at 11 a.m. Wake Forest at Clemson. That's good football. ESPN two. Duke is at Virginia on some stupid ACC regional network. Uh, same goes for Pitt at Syracuse at 1130. Uh, let's scoot on up to that takes us through. We'll stop there. Yep.
We can stop there for 2 o'clock. By the way, um, uh, to fit in a real quick question from a reader, uh, there are a bunch of D- – if you're looking at LSU football, uh, the, the uh, .net for your TV schedule needs, and by God, you should be, you'll notice there are a few D2 and D3 uh, games on ESPN3 at around that time. Uh, at Matt Ketchum asks, when will Bill C. start including D2 and D3 teams in the S&P Plus rankings? Oh. My God, just give me that chance. I've been trying to figure that out for a long time. Logan Hansen, a guy named Logan Hansen does it really well. We can clone him. Right. Well, that's, I mean, God. Well, it's really just a, figuring out a way to obtain that data and use it. Um, it's not, for those of you who don't know, it's not as readily available. No. Bill, has, Bill has to fight to get information on Power 5 teams. Well, right. Sometimes. And I mean, like, I wouldn't be able to do it play by play. That's asking too much, but a, a score related version, kind of like I do the estimated SP Plus ratings for like, you know, 1938, that could be possible if I could figure out a nice, easy way to scrape all that. Uh, and by the way, as I was about to say, Logan Hansen, uh, former, I think former D3 football player, uh, does D3 ratings. Uh, look him up. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun to look at him breaking down, you know, whitewater versus stout and whatnot. It's, 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 uh, it's a lovely, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're a nerd anyway. So that's, that's that. I will one day figure that out, but I have not figured it out yet. Penn State. Uh, extremely watchable at Northwestern. It'll be fun, but I think I'm going to pick Wake and Clemson here just to figure out. Um, I didn't get a chance to see much of that FSU game. Um, always fun to watch Clemson's defense break someone's soul. Um, I think that's going to be my early pick. Auburn's going to smash Ole Miss. Georgia's going to smash Vanderbilt. Iowa's going to smash Illinois. So um, same goes for Iowa State at Oklahoma. Um, but if you're looking for fun and we're you know Duke of Virginia is not a bad football yeah, game, but I think Wake good teams. Um, I think I think Wake and Clemson is my pick in the early slot. What do you think? Uh, if you're, yeah, I, I I could never voluntarily watch Wake and Clemson, at least not all of it. But um, wow, the the two other games of interest for me are Iowa State, Oklahoma. Number one, just to make sure Oklahoma is still kind of on the right path and to see what Iowa state can do against Oklahoma. That was kind of disappointing last week with a, I, I expected more. Their defense was fine against a, a shaky Texas offense, uh, but I expected more out of the offense than I actually saw. And so how do they rebound uh, against Oklahoma is kind of an interesting thing, but, uh, but Penn state Northwestern, like we were saying on Sunday, James Franklin's never beaten them. I know they're, uh, they're not overlooking this game when, you know, before they hit the, the Michigan, Ohio state back to back, uh, and, and Northwestern usually plays, you know, well, they're, they're playing better now. They're, they're smart there. If, if Penn state makes mistakes, they'll probably take advantage of it. So that's one to, to watch. At Joseph cook 89 says the Texas tech defense. That was this question. <laughs> um, all right. Good job, I guess. I mean, they're better than normal? Uh, sure, yeah. They're better at forcing turnovers anyway. Um, hey, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what Gibbs likes that's to do. Right. Uh, that was a good um, – they they got Oklahoma State got the full Texas Tech treatment and good for them for surviving it. You know they yeah. come off that loss they probably didn't expect. They had a couple of injuries on the offensive line, uh, and then they had to go. You know you lick your wounds and then you have to go to Texas Tech for a Saturday night track meet. That's a tough situation. Texas Tech got the pick six. OSU was about to put the game away early pretty much, and they got the pick six instead. Uh, they got uh, the surprise onside kick in the fourth quarter. They got the full Texas Tech and they won it. So good for them. All right, let's shift gears and go into the afternoon. You ready? Yeah. Uh, let's start at 2.30. Air Force is at Navy yeah. on CBS Sports Network. Charleston Southern goes to Indiana. I believe that's a rescheduled game. Um, LSU is at Florida. That's the one we're going to sit and talk about for a second. That's a, that's the CBS game. Simultaneously, we got the most questions about this game. Miami's at Florida State on ESPN. 
Minnesota's at Purdue on ESPN2. Notre Dame is at North Carolina on ABC, of course. West Virginia's at TCU on FS1. Arkansas is at South Carolina on the SEC Network. Maryland's at Ohio State. Oregon State's at USC. Tulsa's at Tulane on ESPNU. I'm skipping some of these because i got to go faster. Um, and let's go all the way to, ah, uh, what the hell. Marshall's at Charlotte at 5 and Army's at Rice at 5.30 on BN. And Colorado State is at Utah State. <laughs> yes, sorry, I skipped one. And that is on, I think the best way to watch that one, if you're so interested, is to check out MWC Video. Now, Bill, here's the thing. we got a ton of questions about all these games, yeah. so we're going to go really fast. The first one, um, we're going to knock off. Um, Taylor Midkiff says, why is TCU uh, a 13-point favorite against West Virginia? Does S&P Plus validate this kind of spread? They're very good. That's why they're. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I I saw that come through, and I was like, it seems right to me. Yeah, let's is see. S and P. Let's see. S and P says it's in Fort Worth. Yeah, S and P says West uh, TCU by thirteen point two. It's in it's in Fort Worth. West Virginia is good, but not great. So S P definitely validates uh, that. Huh? Yeah, I mean West Virginia is good, but they're not amazing. They they give up a lot of big plays. Um, they are probably better than S and P says. Uh, we remember in the off season I was talking about how bad the projections were for West Virginia because of what they lost last year. They're better than forty first, yeah. but TCU is really really good. That's why they're a thirteen point favorite. Uh, Jared K at Jared UTSA says, is Marshall back? Um, back is probably a strong word. I think Cincinnati's just trying to, um, probably blow it up a little bit. I gave and... them a, a hat tip, uh, on, uh, in Sunday's piece, uh, the team of the week's piece, because they, uh, they gave NC state a game. They beat it, Miami, Ohio, a team that'll probably bowl. They, uh, treated Kent state with the a due lack of respect, at least defensively. And then they beat, they went up immediately a huge lead on Cincinnati too. Um, this, you know, they're at this point, they are likely to bowl this year and that's good. I mean, they just, they fell apart really quickly and it does look like there's a rebound underway. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chad Floyd at Chad underscore Floyd. You've alluded to F- uh, Fedora and Texas A&M a few times before. What is UNC? What does UNC's rebuilding year of massive injuries do to that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it would definitely be a situation. Not necessarily. Here's five and seven. Iowa State head coach Gene Chizik, right? And he gets booed when he lands. But I definitely think it would be closer to that than it would be the slam dunk mid-major Tom Herman type moment. Yeah, it's been, um, uh, it was a, it was going to be a rebuilding year, and then the injuries have made it a mega rebuilding year. They've lost, you know, they lost a close game to Cal. They lost a very competitive game to Louisville, competitive game to Duke. They finally, the door, the, the wheels kind of fell off against Georgia Tech a little bit, and now they have to play Notre Dame. So, yeah, it's going to be a bad year. I don't think it does anything to how I think about Fedora personally, like, as a, as a coach, but, yeah, this is, he's yeah, probably not going to be in this cycle. He's probably going to be in North Carolina another year now. It's a weird one to answer because I really like Fedora. I like what he's done at North Carolina because keep in mind, he had to keep the Wolves at bay with a really longer than what Ole Miss has dealt with with NCAA. I mean, it could have fallen apart at any step and it not only did it not, but he's he's recruited well and developed guys, and they've won big games. You know, they beat Florida State last year. So yeah, I don't think I'm not. A, I this was, is just not the year to like polish the resume. This was not going to be the bow on the path. Yeah, no, I was never as high on Fedora as others were, uh, but I still think he's a good coach, and I still think he's a good coach. So um, yeah, definitely. Um, it's just it's it is a tough year to sell it, and I mean that's okay. <laughs> um, it, you know. It's going to happen. At Joka Strength, our friend Carl uh, says, where does Mike Bobo coach next year? Um, 
I'm I'm not going to lie. If you were to tell me the answer is Columbia, Missouri, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain all that much. I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't be all that upset. But hmm. uh, he's uh, this is a uh, I just brought it up really not to make that reference, but just Colorado State still has a lot on the table this year. I had them as my top ranked uh, mid major pick at the beginning of the year. And, you know, they they had a disappointing – they blew a bunch of, of scoring chances and they had a disappointing game against Colorado. They had, they had a perfectly respectable showing at Alabama. They just crushed uh, Hawaii in Hawaii. Uh, if they – from an S&P standpoint, they're favored in every single game the rest of this year, uh, which would put them in uh, the, the, the Mountain West title game against San Diego State if they win that, uh, depending on what's happening in the AAC – they, that that's a potential P5 or G5 bowl bid kind of situation there. So yeah, we've forgotten about Colorado State because they looked pretty bad against Colorado, but they, they still have all their goals on the table this year, and they could end up getting Mike Bobo a very good job at the end of it. Well, also jump if you have to, or you know, don't jump just to jump. If the I think if the right position's not there for Bobo, I don't necessarily think he's right. just going to jump. Yeah, no, no, I mean, no, no, no. It's, it's kind of a Scott Frost what, situation, yeah. Let's marry this situation with the previous one. Let's say Larry Fedora leaves UNC. Does Bobo go to Chapel Hill? I, That's not a I bad fit. That. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, not a bad fit. And by God, you better more... say that if Columbia, if Columbia, Missouri calls, he answers. I'm not. That's all I'm going to say about the matter. Um. I mean, I don't see honestly. I don't see why not. I think he's going to have some well, concern with job. optics. Yes, it's an SEC job right now, but I think he's going to have some concern with optics. And I think the, I mean, I don't want to get into the bigger problems at Missouri because it's hard to separate the context. But it is going to concern certain coaches that are from the south. Well, it concerned it um, coaches a couple of years ago. I think. I mean, at this point, all it takes is to get you to campus and see. Oh, wait, there aren't Dixie flags hanging everywhere, and this isn't an actual race crisis area exactly to, to 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 kind of alleviate those big concerns but you do still have to visit campus. pop quiz which one of us went to Ole Miss um <laughs> all right uh Capers Thompson at Capers Thompson why is Kurt Roper is it that bad I, I mean it's pretty bad it's Arkansas is at South Carolina by the way it's it's pretty bad uh South Carolina's offense and and again like you take away the number one weapon for just about any offense, they're going to suffer for it. And mm-hmm. Debo Samuel was their one pr- truly proven guy heading into the year. So it's not exactly surprising that they would struggle. You know, he they put up 35 and 31 against NC State in Missouri, and he, he, he single-handedly turned the Missouri game. You know, Missouri's up 10 nothing, and then he returns a kick for a touchdown. Then they pick off a pass, and he takes a jet sweep for another touchdown, and that was it. Uh, since he got hurt, they've scored 13 against Kentucky, 17 against Louisiana Tech, and 17 against A&M. Uh, that's, I mean, none of that is surprising they are struggling to run the ball I think part of that was expected and part of that's a product of suddenly struggling to pass the ball but they still have a really good uh, tight end and Hayden Hurst they've still got more weapons I just think they're in a situation where they spent the whole year building an offense around a guy who's not there anymore this is actually a pretty deep afternoon without a marquee game um I don't know let's talk to we'll just do LSU at the end um LSU Florida is interesting, not for like the pure good football reasons, but it is very interesting. Miami Florida State is good for I think a combination of both. Yeah, and then like West Virginia TCU is gonna have fun weird. Um, 
Oregon State at USC. Now it's going to be a blowout. Let's see. Uh, Maryland at Ohio State. That was the one I was actually thinking of. Um, for some reason, I read the other game out loud. <laughs> Maryland at Ohio State. That could be really good. Yeah. Um, t- Ohio I mean, State I, will have to, you know, Maryland's probably not good enough to win that game by any means, but they'll actually have to play. Like, this is the first time yeah. since OU where they'll, they'll face an opponent where they really do have to show up and play. And they probably will. And they'll probably win easily. Uh, but they'll have to. So that's good. All right. Let's move on. Um Six o'clock on FS1, Kansas State goes to Texas. Six o'clock on CBS Sports Network, SMU goes to Houston. Ooh, rivalry game. Uh, 6.15, Alabama is at Texas A&M. Sorry, Ags. 6.15, ESPN2, Virginia Tech is at Boston College. 6.30, the the game of the night on ABC is Michigan State at Michigan. All right. It's a weird schedule this week. Okay. Uh, 6.30 is Missouri at Kentucky. Um, Skip on right by see, that one. Seven, yeah, just walk right by that. Arizona's at Colorado at, at 7. Um, real quick, I just for some reason I was poking around something to do with the Pac-12 yesterday, and I was realizing like if Arizona and Arizona State are going to like implode decimate, it starts this week. And then, like, the stretch is really just, like, where they just get their ass kicked down the, down the stretch. Curious. If it's going to happen. I'm curious, yeah, because, um, I mean, Arizona has looked. Arizona State beat Oregon, by right, the way. Arizona has looked not awful. And my rate, my the S&P gives them right now a 52% chance of getting to six wins. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, Arizona State just beat Oregon. So this might they, they might not be dead. We, we spent the whole offseason like, just assuming that both of those programs were going to implode. Now, Arizona State, with their schedule ahead, they're probably yeah. not going to make a bowl. Like that, That's the right. worst situation by far. They get Washington at home, at Utah, USC at home, Colorado at home, at UCLA. They're going to be favored once the rest of the year at Oregon yep. State, and that's if they don't completely collapse. So. Uh, a couple more, 7, uh, seven o'clock, uh, Washington State at Oregon on Fox. ESPNU has uh, UCF at Cincinnati, and then on the Big Ten Network is Wisconsin at Nebraska. Um, ooh, lots of stuff here to talk yeah. about before we get to, before we get to your drunk. Um, Wisconsin and Nebraska is going to allow for two things to happen. I'm just going to go ahead and make a prediction, even though we don't do that on this show. This is not my watch prediction. This is not the game to watch for fun. Um, they, I think Wisconsin is going to come in and take the pipe to them and just absolutely whip their ass. And I think that's going to allow for a consensus to build in the absence of an AD where they're going to make wholesale changes and where the writing's on the wall for their current head coach. It's also going to allow Wisconsin to get as much attention as Wisconsin seems to be capable of getting. So um, I feel like it's got a very fixed narrative to it, and it's not necessarily something you tune in for because there's not a lot of intrigue, but I just feel very definite about those things happening. Yeah, this is... um... Well, I mean, it kind of got, this is a, not a bold statement. It's a big week for Mike Riley. They looked, they actually looked mm-hmm. against Illinois last week. I somehow ended up watching I a watched decent amount game. of game. They looked, they looked competent and put together. Yes. You know, they did. But also, Illinois. it was against Illinois, and Illinois seemed to run out of tricks about 12 minutes into the game. So, um, you know, Wisconsin is just very, very, very sound. They've played Wisconsin well before. They've also played Wisconsin terribly before. But this is, I mean, if they come out and they put together a good effort, actually, never mind, I'm going to stop there because if they do that, they're still at Ohio <laughs> State the next week. Uh, my, wife and I went out to a, my wife and I went out to a restaurant before a concert on Friday night, the, like, ultra-rare date night in the fall. We walk in, um, you know, there was no reservations left, but they could seat us at the bar. And in the bar, this game was on, this Illinois-Nebraska game. And she was like, is this a thing that you need to watch for work, or is this just a thing that's going to distract you from the date night? Kind of <laughs> like she was, she was being really cool about it. And she was like, I mean, if, we, if you need to watch it, we can sit in here. And I was like, 
honey, it's. I was like, yeah, it's Nebraska, Illinois. Like, we're, I, I, we're gonna be fine. You can you can officially allot fifteen percent of your attention <laughs> to that game and absorb everything that you need to know from it. Um, I did think that they looked competent and they looked pretty good on offense, but no. Um, this is it. This is the beginning of the end. Uh, Alabama and Texas A and M. Oh, 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 oh! I just noticed. By the way, with Nebraska, uh, not only do they play Ohio State after Wisconsin, they 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 then get the time to fire your coach by week. Ooh, extra angst. So there you go. Uh, angst, word of the day. Uh, Alabama's and Texas A&M. Godspeed. Uh... I'm actually curious now, after two straight ridiculous performances by Alabama, they don't have as much reason to be vengeful against A&M because they've, they've already taken their vengeance out on A&M. So I'm curious now, what, what, what level do we see? The last two weeks were something ridiculous, and if they play like that the rest of the year, they're going to win every game by at least 20 I points. Have no reason to say that they're anything other than what right. they've been against Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. But I'm curious. So. I'm curious what they do there. See ya. Um... Why am I talking myself into Kansas State and Texas? Because Texas is pretty good. No, but also, like, I think that there's a potential for Kansas State to come in and, like, not push them around. No, no, no. Kind of scare them them in weird ways. Well, I mean, if this is Kansas State, Texas, we should assume. We should start by assuming that Kansas State's going to win (laughs) because it's the way it works. Is this just Ron Prince in my head right now? I think so, but I'm very impressed with Texas's defense, especially up front. I would be impressed if Kansas State can run the ball all that well. Uh, and so there's nothing there's nothing saying that the that Texas will win the the 17 to 7 game that's about to unfold but I do see another low scoring game that they could win and yeah, I mean in, in terms of optics uh, a, a head coach not losing to Kansas State uh, is is seemingly pretty rare so you try that out Re- really really interested in uh, Red River next week and I think I kind of just want to know what Texas is before that game um because hey underdog situation Hell and yeah. this is like you were hired to be the guy who galvanizes 4OU, right? What Mac could never do, what Charlie seemed to be tepid on. Like, this is your freaking moment, sexy I, I new hire guy. I assume we get a very good Texas for that game, just like we got a very good Texas oh, against USC. Dude, I think it could be a really good game, but that's next week. Um, you know, uh, I kind of feel like the afternoon and the evening are about on the same footing. VTech's going to be fine at BC. Um, is there anything to say about Michigan State at Michigan? I just think it's a weird scheduling hiccup that Michigan will probably win this game by Michigan state is better. They're better. I think that, well, I mean, number one, Michigan state is better this year. Number two, Michigan state always plays really, really well against Michigan and Ohio state. So this will be a very, very good test. You don't need to convince me to try and figure out a way to troll Michigan about this game. I am here for Uh, that. It's it's not hard to, you know, it's, it's it's just lined up right there. This will be a very hard game for them. Uh, By the way, at uh, Joe Benchy, Joey Benchneider says, do Bill's stats show a large number of top teams with bad OL play? Michigan, Penn State, USC come to mind. If so, is this a normal number compared mm. to last season? I have no idea if it's normal, but Michigan's uh, line, Michigan's run game is absolutely the question mark for them this year. They actually, I don't think Wilton Speed is nearly as bad as everybody says. Part of the reason he's struggling yeah. this year is he's he's throwing on second and nine and third and eight a lot. Um, and, you know, he's still got a young receiving core that just lost one of its guys. So that's obviously yeah. a problem, but they keep trying to establish the run and they're not very good at it. Uh, and it's going to hurt them because they don't, unlike the other team he mentioned there, Penn state, they don't have Saquon Barkley, uh, to bail out bad blocking at times. So I think I'm going to be watching Wazoo in Oregon. Um, I got, I didn't get to see much of, uh, USC 
And so I am interested in this concept of a Washington State defense. Um, yeah. I'm also, you know, Oregon's down its quarterback, and I, I, I don't know if there's been an official word on Royce Freeman um, as we record this. They're, you know, they're very sneaky about that, like we've talked about. I think that Oregon is going to um, probably lose this game. Um, but I think it's going to be really fun to watch. It'll be definitely be and fun. I, I think they win. You think Oregon wins? Yeah, I mean, obviously the quarterback situation is a little scary, but... I just think with... I mean, honestly, if Herbert's in, I think they win at home. I, I was going to go to this game until until they lost their quarterback and their running back, and I just figured I'd be going out there to cover a Washington State scrub. Yeah, I, I don't... Which is fine, which is fine, Brian Floyd, if you're listening, our right. managing editor is Wazoo alum. I'm totally down with a Wazoo. Hey, as, undefeated as somebody, Wazoo. As somebody who has been yelled at by Let Washington Rome State burn. fans for years, I feel like I'm okay with saying I still... I, you know, they... They, they were lucky against USC. Let's put it that way. They were lucky against USC. They were good against USC, but they were also lucky. Uh, they are yeah. like suddenly top 10 good. Um, and Eugene can still eat you alive. And, and Eugene can still eat you alive. And, and by the way, the most incredible stat that I fell, uh, that I've stumbled into uh, a little too late for the numerical on Tuesday. Right now, Oregon's defense is 10th in success rate allowed. Now, Southern Utah, Nebraska, Wyoming, Arizona State, California. Those are there are some pretty solid offenses in there. Nothing spectacular, obviously, but tenth. Uh, they're giving up big plays. They are, uh, you know, they they are not finishing drives very well. They're on on either side of the ball and all that, but they are efficient. They are like he. he it took Jim Levitt a month to make an efficient defense out of what he inherited wow. at Oregon. And efficient offenses or efficient defenses can do well against uh, a Washington State dink and dunk. It's um, it's gonna be probably one of the greatest games in college football history because I because um, you didn't go because I had the plan I'd planned on going and then the travel got wonky and then I made a judgment call I made an editorial decision on the fact that Oregon lost its running back and quarterback, um the return flights were crazy but um now it's going to be probably the greatest it's probably going to be better than the 2006 Rose Bowl just so be advised <laughs> Bill bad news or good news. You're going to have to get real drunk after seven. How do you feel about that? I'm okay. Uh, the okay. Missouri game will end about 10 o'clock. I'm, I'm all set. <laughs> all right. Here's your evening slot. You ready? Uh, FS1 is Stanford at Utah at 915 Central. Hawaii is at Nevada at 930 Central on CBS Sports Network. Cal is at Washington. That game's going to take uh, six hours. Uh, at 945 on ESPN. And then San Diego State is at UNLV at 945. San Diego State, they're going to be fine. Washington is going to be annoyed by Cal for about five minutes. They're going to be fine. And Nevada's bad. Yeah. Um, I got to pick one of these things. I I hear, let me put in a good word for Stanford, Utah. Okay. Sell it. Okay. Uh, Uh, Other than uh, I know that like Bryce Love is awesome. I got that. Yeah. A Bryce Love. Bryce Love is incredible. And B Utah is more fun this year. Uh, That's, you know, they, well, A, they usually play Stanford well. Well, hell, they play everybody well. Um, yeah. But they actually have an offense that's kind of worth watching, uh, a, a really efficient run game. And they've got Darren Carrington now at receiver, the the Oregon, the dismissed Oregon receiver who ended up uh, transferring, uh, doing the grad transfer thing to Utah. He's got, he's got already got almost 500 yards uh, receiving. Tyler Huntley uh, is completing almost three quarters of his passes. They actually have an offense that's worth, that isn't just, you know, three yard thuds at a time. Um, and they will test Stanford in that way. And, and really, honestly, next two weeks will tell us if USC 
is going to run away with the South like I assumed they would because Utah gets to play Stanford and then Utah plays USC. And um, they are an interesting team to watch, I think. That's kind of it for the South, you know? Yeah, I mean, Colorado technically maybe, but probably not. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. No, it's kind of down to Utah now. A uh, couple uh, – want to pick up a couple in the in the scheduling trash pile. Um, one game uh, – a couple games, actually. So, CUSA TV, which I think is done through their website. It may be a pay – it may be paywalled or not. Uh, Louisiana Tech is at UAB. Um, and then – let's see. What else did I want to touch on? Oh, uh, I think if you just have a Facebook account, you watch – you can watch the yeah. Facebook video thing. Uh, Southern Miss uh, is at Undefeated UTSA. And then let's see, Western Kentucky is at our friends UTEP. So UTEP, I thought you said UTEP was on a buy, Bill. I thought it was. I I control F for their name and I missed them. So, so there you go. Also, um, so Western Kentucky is at UTEP. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily advocate watching that. I just wanted no, to mention yeah. it. Um, so uh, UTSA, you you need to start watching. You know, pull up a Facebook if, if especially in the evening if things are kind of lax because um, they're good. They, they, I mean, they're legitimately good. Um, my, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize in advance. Uh, Misael Jimenez at Vicente Grappas uh, asks, can UTSA run the table and keep any of their staff? Yes. No. Right. I mean, which one would you rather have a yes for? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think if you're a UTSA, UTSA fan, uh, Frank Wilson was never going to be there forever. He's ahead of schedule. He's doing a really, really good job. Um, one of these days I'm going to finish my Frank Wilson profile and get it out there. Um, and I would say you would want an undefeated run, right? Yeah, surely. Um, the next two weeks will kind of tell that Southern Miss, I, I'm, I, well, I don't know about Southern Miss now. They just got drubbed by North Texas, but regardless, they, they host Southern Miss. Then they play at North Texas. Um, <clears throat> and both, that's kind of it. Yeah. And, well, at Louisiana tech at the end of the year. And I guess technically I just said Marshall's better. They do have to play Marshall too. So it's not, it's not a given like S and P says there's a 3% chance of them finishing 12 and 0. Although part of that is based on, I think what is a, an inflated uh, vision of Southern Miss and a deflated vision of, of UTSA for that matter. Um, but let's do a, uh, let's do a bridge real fast um, and transition into LSU to, just to take it home. There were just so many topics this week. I wanted to get the schedule out of the way before, in case we turn into another long rant. Um, Tanner Spearman at Tanner Spearman, by the way, when you geotag your tweets, it's always funny because he's in Ruston, Louisiana. So what do you think he's going <laughs> to ask about? Who is the best team in Louisiana and why is it tech bill? I, is it, a is it, I, is it tech? I, a I I love the question format. B the question format is getting a little tired. Um, yeah. We've seen it a lot, but regardless, uh, no, it's not tech. It's Louisiana State. It, it's Louisiana State, and uh, you know it just is. But um, that is a perfect segue into talking about <sighs> red flags. Lots of red flags. At Rich C. Miller asks, will LSU Tennessee be upgraded from Anxiety Bowl to full-blown Existential Crisis Bowl? Well, I think we're already there. Uh, Take a knee at CFB Manifesto. How much time should coaches like Ed O get to turn around things, turn things around? Uh, Here's one I don't remember. B-Man underscore 2017 says, do you want to change your answer about Coach O from last week? I don't know what that's actually in reference to. That's fine, though. Uh, Is it just that he's not going to get fired, I guess? I still don't think he's going to get fired. Um, There's this thing called a buyout. uh, And then (laughs) at Matty Mock just says, UFLSU, duh. Um, Where do we start, Bill? That was at Matty M-O-K Mock, not Matty Mock. The 
Well, yeah, I figured back. he's busy. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to rattle off everything I know off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, no, Ed Ogeron was not going to get fired after the Troy game. If you heard anything, if you read anything, that was completely false. Uh, no, Ed Ogeron is not in danger of losing his job at this very second. I know that seems insane to say that they've got blown out by Mississippi State and they lost at home to Troy. Um, you should probably never get blown out by Mississippi State at LSU, and you should never lose to Troy, no matter what the circumstance, even though it was pretty much ideal for Troy in every way, shape, and form. Um, all of that being said, this is something I'm exploring for a piece that's, I think, going up tomorrow. Is this the LSU? Is it is this LSU 2017? Is it Georgia 2016? And what I mean by that is, it the first year of a coach who's replacing a consistent, established winner who who just basically begin began to grate on the nerves of the key influencers of a program. Is it something different? What what issues? Because there are many, are systemic. Did we just overlook talent replacement issues, um, or is it yes to all of this? Let me say this before we get into it. You don't – a lot of this is going to come from a weird place. I'm going to have to preface my preface now, Bill. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't think people in national media like Ed Ogeron. I think that this is a good chance for them to get a couple shots in. I think they all really liked Les Miles. I do think there's some politics at play. This idea that that Ed Ogeron suddenly can't coach and doesn't know football or never did, I think is false. Um, the fact that he uh, didn't do what he did last year and what he didn't do at USC, is, I think is – the fact that people are overlooking that I think is a little weird. Um, it's circumspect. Um, the fact that people bring up his record at Ole Miss is the strangest one to me. Um, I was there. This was the first job I had out of college was covering my alma mater the first year of the Ed Ogeron era. Um, I was the one who Ed Ogeron probably would have physically <laughs> harmed had he not been restrained um, in, at the end of 2006. I am also the one who wrote a profile on Ed Ogeron this summer, and I've been to Baton Rouge I think probably just two or three times uh, in the past year. Um, the, the idea that you would compare anything that he's doing now at LSU to anything that happened in Oxford, Mississippi a decade ago is ludicrous. It, it just it should be thrown out. It really should be. It's completely different circumstances. The guy is a completely different coach. Um, Counterpoint. One more thing. Okay. Only thing that I'm worried, the only thing that, that, that I arched an eyebrow at was not all the dumb anonymous source stuff from, from a particular majority of the national media who I think just fundamentally likes to make fun of Ed. It is the Matt Canada stuff. Yes. It is, the, it, is, it is losing shift in motion at Ed Orgeron's request in the first half of that game. That's a fact. That was admitted by Orgeron. Yep. Bad. Just flat out bad. That's the one thing that actually is a red flag to me. Everything else... I think is something that we don't understand yet because we haven't gained full perspective. So now you tell me if how, if I'm way off because I don't think I am. And what, but by way off, I mean that I don't think the world is ending. Well, uh, I mean I can't for sports, politics, whatever we're talking about. I can't really verify. Uh, say that LSU, LSU's okay. world is ending. Um, being an interim coach is different than being a full-time coach. So basically, when, when he took over at USC, when he took over at LSU on an interim basis, this was cheerleader ed. This was keep the morale up. This was get everybody moving forward, uh, be as cheerful as possible, um, and, and really just try to make sure that your talented players keep playing like talented players. When you get a full-time job, now you're thinking big picture. 
Um, and you, now you're thinking it's, there's not a finish line. This is the job you want for the rest of your life. Um, so it's different than just trying to get to the late November. And, you know, comparisons to, to Mississippi, obviously uh, the circumstances are different, but the things I remember about him at Ole Miss in terms of meddling, uh, you know, in terms of just the toughness of his team, as compared to the toughness that he tried to show his team, the toughness of those teams, um, I, it's really pretty easy to get scared of, 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 of the job he's going to be able to do there when you see the same things happening now. The first time they get, you know, the, the Mississippi State game, they just fold it. They fold it and they mentally self-destructed in a way that they never did under Les Miles. Or not, not really, anyway. They didn't, that, that wasn't Les Miles' biggest problem, was his players losing their temper and committing personal fouls and just kind of mailing it in. He, he had a completely different set of problems. So the fact that they showed that, was a little scary. The fact that he, he he admitted after the game, yeah, I hired this Matt Canada guy to come in, and his shifts were so popular at Pitt, and he had the best defense, our offenses in any number of years at NC State, uh, and it's really kind of an innovative thing, and it's shift, shift, shift. That was the biggest thing that he does that others don't. I didn't like it, and I told him to stop. Uh, that's terrifying. Oh, man. And it shows that he's very uncertain and he's pressing a lot of buttons and he's not sure what's going to work. And, and again, when you're an interim, you can just be single minded, plow through the next few weeks kind of thing. Now he's trying to think long term and it is different and he's not doing it very well. That's not this. That's not to say he can't. But uh, if this is different than Kirby Smart, and, and, you know, they're talented enough, they're recruiting well enough, this could all like if he just assuming he's on the job next year, it could all click. Um but Kirby Smart didn't seem to just be – Kirby Smart seemed to have a plan. Even last year, it was a question of whether he was going to end up being good enough to execute that plan. And now you can legitimately say that Editor Orgeron doesn't know what his plan is. Well, you know, Kirby, freshman quarterback, right? no offensive line. Right. <laughs> kind of um, big issues, yeah. And, and Nick Chubb, I still don't really know what his injury status was last year. He looked good, then he looked didn't, and, you know, on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, definitely banged up. Um it's interesting to see the reaction to this one versus the reaction when Georgia was going through their stuff last year. Um, I can say I, I love Ed Orgeron. I he's like just I love the the the, the thought of him succeeding, but. I don't think it's that unreasonable to, uh, to, to, it's not, it doesn't take that many leaves. You can say whether people are doing it for the right reason or not. And I think they probably, you know, a lot of them probably aren't, but it's not unreasonable to see what he did at Ole Miss and see what he's doing at LSU and find similar, uh, find parallels there. Sure. It's also a decade removed. Right. And I think that's a huge, huge thing in college football. And also those programs aren't comparable. No, 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 no. None of that. None of comparable. that. Those, those programs are comparable those Ole Miss and LSU breathe the same air usually about two and a half out of every ten years. That's it. When right, Ole no. Miss is, when when Ole Miss is at an apex and when LSU is in a little bit of a funk <laughs> is usually when those programs breathe the same air. But it's the, just a fact. But the type of mistakes he's making, I think, compares, and that's that's the biggest. That's yes. a bigger concern than anything else for me. I mean, I can remember 2006 vividly when Noel Mazzoni just stopped showing up for press conferences because it was <laughs> so contentious behind the scenes of of the meddling. Now. If they come out against Florida, let's, let's turn this forward, and they win that game, it will be interesting to see what the reaction is. Because now it's out and out firing. We want him gone. We want to leave it gone. We want all the, it's None of it's working. This is a disaster. 
it will be interesting. Like, all of a sudden, Matt Canada can't coach because of Ed Ogeron, but, like, you paid a ton of money to, a, to probably the best defensive coordinator in college football, other than Brent Vittables, maybe, yeah. in Aranda. They didn't look good on defense. Yeah, uh, right now, success rate. They are 19th in success rate on offense, by the way. Uh, For all the problems we're talking about, they're 19th. Uh, They're 50th on defense. It's weird that's not getting talked about. It's weird that the personnel issues aren't getting talked about. It's weird that... um, it's, but it's also, you know what, man? It's also weird that we missed all this because I was I was convinced, having talked to those guys and having looked at some stuff, that they were going to be more efficient on offense right away. It was weird that we all kind of got talked into LSU being fun and explosive in year one and a half for Orgeron when you have the same quarterback and you have really the rooted same issue at quarterback that you had with Miles. Quarterback situation gets Miles fired last year. I, yeah, I mean, I think you I can tell think, by the hesitancy in our voices that we don't. It, it's still hard to figure out where we are on this one. I don't think Danny Etling's playing all that bad. Um, no, I thought. I mean, I, I thought if anything, he's. Well, I wrote in the Mississippi State game. One of the things I wrote was they're watching that game twice. I kind of thought he was the second best player they had behind Darius Geis. Um, I mean, he's fleet of foot all of a sudden. Right. So um, they did lose, th- what, three guys on the offensive line. Um, uh-huh. And that turns out to have been a bigger issue than expected. And it's really easy to look at, you know, hey, look at this, you know, four-star guy stepping into the lineup, this four-star guy stepping into the lineup. Like, I, I, I'd i like to think that they could have figured something. Well, it's early. They could still figure it out. And they've been pretty efficient. They're fifth in rushing success rate. So maybe we're just talking about all the wrong things right now. But the defense, let's see. I am just pulled up the old preview file that I used. They lost – Two starters on the defensive line, but returned everybody else. Uh, they lost two starters at linebacker, but returned everybody else. And, but but the secondary, they they lost. They brought back Dante Jackson. They brought back John Battle. They lost their other four guys. They lost Tre'Davious White, who was incredible. Um, and they are let's see, fortieth in rushing success rate and sixty fifth in passing success rate. Now they're not giving up a lot of big plays on the pass. That's coming on the ground. I was watching Falcons Bills last Sunday, and you have Tre'Davious White on one side of the ball and Duke Riley on the other side of the ball. They're both starting. And it's their fourth game in the NFL each, and they were on, they were starters on that defense last year. Yeah. yeah, I'd say the secondary is something that maybe I didn't give. I, I still think their front seven doesn't have many excuses. Um, I think their front seven should be very good, uh, and they just I realized they lost Arden Key for a couple of games, just got him back, et cetera, et cetera. But. Uh, yeah, the secondary is something that I might have underestimated, and the offensive line is something that I might have uh, underestimated. Going to be interesting to see how it goes down the stretch. Um, a lot of winnable games, even for the team that had to come back against Troy. A lot of winnable <laughs> games. You got Ole Miss. Um, I believe, is Arkansas and Baton Rouge? Uh, where to go? Yes. So it's at Florida, Auburn at home, right. at Ole Miss, at Alabama, Arkansas at home, at Tennessee, Texas A&M at home. Boy, we I, were, God, that could we go were in like with a different. lot of Florida fans, and none of them are particularly confident right now like, about this weekend. Yeah. Um, now, granted, granted they're, they're a special level of annoyingly myopic anyway, but it's also, <laughs> I mean, this is, they come out of the swing game the right way. I think this is going to be not much ado about nothing because systemic issues showed themselves against Troy. All right. It's right. Troy, it's Troy, it's Troy, it's Troy. You got to say that. Shout out to Neil Brown, by the way. I wrote a story about oh, it yeah? on Friday. Um, 
That dude's going to get a job. Um, By the way, I, I did see somebody, I don't even remember who on Twitter, so I'm not intentionally subtweeting here, but somebody uh, mentioned, oh, one game, and now Neil Brown is is a hot prospect. He was a terrible offensive coordinator at Kentucky. It was something to that effect. Well, he's a mad Kentucky um, fan because of their situation at Kentucky. He was really bad when they got there, and he didn't have the personnel at all to run that mod- – I mean, they were trying to tweak an air raid, and they just didn't have the bodies in the in the receiving court to do it. And let this be a very definitive and lesson. And he left Kentucky for a freaking head coaching job. He, let this be a definitive – let this be definitive proof that being a head coach is not being a coordinator. They are dramatically different jobs. Oh, yeah, tremendously so. Uh, tremendously. So okay, let's wrap up. We we actually glossed over a game and didn't actually talk about it any. Uh, this 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 kind of sort of big Miami Florida State game. I kind of thought it would be funny just not to, just because it was uh, we'd be so on brand. Yeah, we did get a bunch of questions about uh, so FSU quick, Miami. Uh, we'll just uh, I'll talk about one and then we'll we'll go uh, and we'll react okay. to the game on Sunday. At Hutch and Go, our friend Hutch says, "What magic tricks will FSU pull out this time to defeat Miami?" If you're a Miami fan, you have to be encouraged by the simple fact that. The, the 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 bag of tricks is empty enough that they had to block a PAT last year to win. Like that that's pretty low on the list. Like you're running out of options at that point. So maybe maybe that alone is reason to think that the they won't have any magic tricks left. I am really 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 interested in this game because I've said like in the last five six years I've I've found myself writing five or six different times, uh, two or three different times. Man, Miami looks good. And then they lose to Florida State, and then they collapse for a month. Yep. Uh, and this is their chance. This is their Florida latest. State doesn't just Florida State doesn't just beat Miami once a year. Right. I'll put it that way. This is their chance to not have that happen. Here's the rest. Of, here's Miami's schedule moving forward: at Florida State, Georgia Tech at home, Syracuse at home, North Carol uh, at North Carolina, Virginia Tech at home, Notre Dame at home, Virginia at home, at Pitt. Um, the it's only two bag. remaining, the only two remaining road games they have are amazingly winnable. Yeah. And then they get Georgia tech at home. They get Virginia tech and Notre Dame at home. And if Virginia's worth something now, Virginia is at home. Uh, Syracuse is at home for that matter. So yeah, it, they, according to S and P, they will be at least 63% win probability in every game remaining on the schedule after Florida state. Okay. Even if they lose to Florida state, they have a chance to real to like I guess they would only be ten and one here, but uh, so this really is two games. It's can they beat Florida State for once, and then can they move on from the Florida State game after they play Florida State? And if they answer those two questions right, this is going to be an incredible year for Miami. I think that schedule is interesting. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird because you're Miami, and so you're you're. You're home loaded with the with the important games, yeah. Which is is that weird pendulum of like it's either the the least imposing home environment of the world, or are we finally going to reinvigorate Miami as a city, right? And like go back to being one of the most substantial home field advantages ever. But right. I mean, the is, Orange is this, yeah, what parking lot the now, so. What happens to the fan base if they finally figure out how to beat Florida State? I, look, man, I, I wrote about this when when I spent the uh, time with Uncle Luke a couple years ago. You beat Florida State and you are undefeated. Miami will, the city of Miami will suddenly sort of click and, and go, okay, all right. Florida State, by virtue of when it's played every year, yeah. just kills the freaking the year for Miami when they lose that game. Yeah. It's such yeah. an important game to those people. Um, you know, we don't have to get into the whole history of it, but 
Florida never wanted to engage them in any kind of consistent rivalry. And so Florida State and Tallahassee, it's like the, you know, the far flung into the, you know, the other end of the state, the culture, the fact that, I mean, look, Florida State's come down and made a really good living pulling that state of, <laughs> pulling that state of Miami crap, which no longer exists, you know? Um if they, I mean, this could be the biggest single, I, I definitely the entire week, this could be the biggest single win for anybody, uh, with the exception, I think, maybe of Ed Ocheron. Right. Um, this is the biggest single win, because if Mark Rick does this, you beat my, look, you were Miami, you beat Florida State. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter that there's a hurricane, doesn't matter that Florida State lost her quarterback against Alabama, you beat Florida State. It's that simple. That's how bad they need this right now. Yeah, and by the way, uh, I mean, I, they're, you know. They're going to lose by 21. <laughs> no, they're going to lose by one. They're going to lose yeah. by one, like however it happens. They're going to be up by 21 and lose And by it's one. funny because this streak has taken such power. Like I can sit here and talk about matchups. I can point out that uh, Miami blitzes extra pass, rushes the passer very well. Florida State does not protect the passer very well. And now they don't have DeAndre Francois to, to kind of pull off some magic acts. Uh, they've got a guy who, I mean, you know, Blackman made a hell of a pass to beat Wake Forest last week. But – He's a freshman and he's still taking sacks and all that. I could like, but repeat that sentence. Which part to be Wake Forest? Exactly. Yeah. No. It's like this. You all needed. You needed a hell of a pass to beat Wake this Forest. This all takes shape perfectly for this to be the year. Even though it's in Tallahassee, this is the year Miami beats my uh, Florida State. Except it's probably not. I don't know. This is weird. This is the kind of this is the kind of place where Rick can really. Yeah. I mean, you talk about change the change of the last third or last quarter, maybe of your career. It could be this game. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, Bill. Yeah, that was a lot of show. This is a meaty show. We 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 were show. only at seventy minutes last week. We had to give them extra. We gave them extra. A lot of show. Um, that is the robot, Bill Connolly. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find Bill at SBN underscore Bill C. You can find me at thirty eight Godfrey. Uh, I think our emails are in the bio. We will be back on Sunday for our regularly scheduled um, S&P Plus recap. We'll try and find something weird to do with that ranking system because we've been trying to up ourselves in weirdness every week. <laughs> um, and I think the best way to leave this program is by saying that New Mexico State is at Appalachian State at, on ESPN3 at 2.30. Don't miss it. <laughs>